Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And that vision wasn't just softly creeping through my mind this week. It was just that song was echoing through my mind this week. And I'm very grateful that Dave and the band were able to, to sing it as an introduction, as a, as a, just to sit with that. Because doesn't it feel like to you that these are dark times? A little bit. Um, and uh, just if you want to hear the song again, by the way, there is um, a, another version that I've posted on Sermons Plus by a band called Disturbed. Uh, you can anticipate it being a bit disturbing. The video, it's very dark, um, sad, and angry. It's quite a, a powerful rendition. I wasn't, I'm not prone to cry during sermon prep, um, but I cried this week. As I was preparing this sermon, as I was listening to that song, and as I was hearing Isaiah speak into that. It's cold this morning. It's getting darker. Much of what we love has been cut off from us. Uh, We can feel lonely. Uh, Christmas, even at the best of times, and this isn't the best of times, But Christmas, even at the best of times, uh, are you navigating complicated relational uh, relationships? Doesn't it feel like people are, in fact, talking without speaking? That they're actually hearing without listening to each other? That these words that were penned by Paul Simon years ago just seem more true (laughs) somehow? And in the midst of this dark and difficult time, We're invited to listen to the words of the prophets that are written on the subway walls or on the tenement halls, or in this case, the words of the prophet written in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah, uh, to give you a little bit of a context for what you're about to hear, Isaiah, like all the prophets, are speaking into the history and the story of Israel as Israel's uh, navigating their own times of darkness and have abandoned God, and um, actually the text we're going to read, it's a very familiar text, chapter 9, you'll recognize it right away, but what we tend not to do is read chapter 8 before chapter 9, we just jump right into chapter 9, and I'm not going to read all of chapter 8, but I want to give you a little bit of the context in which Isaiah will speak these words. And so what he's declaring is that people have cut themselves off from God in chapter 8. They've, they've, they've abandoned God and God's word. And as a result, and right at the end of chapter 8, he writes these words, as a result of cutting themselves off, they are distressed and hungry. They will roam throughout the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust out into utter darkness. Now, I know Isaiah's writing to ancient Israel, but you feel like he could be writing to modern Calgary. Right? We know people who have either cut themselves off from God or have been cut off from other sources of life and what they look like or look for uh, to give life. People are feeling distressed. They're hungry, at least emotionally hungry. 
Some people in this city physically hungry, and they're getting enraged. You see that. You're beginning to see anger emerge. And people look up, and what do they do? They curse their leaders, right? They're crying out. They're complaining about leaders doing this or not doing that. They're enraged. And they look out, and all they see is darkness and fearful gloom. That's the world into which Isaiah speaks. That, friends, is the world that Isaiah continues to speak into. And so darkness is real, but it's not the whole story. And so I want you to hear now, Gillian Copeland is going to read this really well-known prophecy from Isaiah, and I want you to hear it in the midst of the darkness. So Gillian, please. People walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has come. For to us a child is born, to us a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. So into the darkness, Isaiah speaks these Marvelous words of hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what Isaiah is beginning to imagine, and remember the prophets speak to the imagination, what Isaiah is beginning to imagine is the reversal of everything the people are experiencing in chapter 8, this time of distress and hunger and famine and rage and fearful gloom and darkness, all of that is becoming undone because they've seen a light emerge. And when I initially gave that scripture to Jillian, I actually had her skip over a part of that and I wish I hadn't, but um, let me, so when the light emerges, two things happen to the people and that's the piece she glossed over, my fault, not hers. Let me just read it. Verse 3 of chapter 9. This is the first result of when people see this light dawning. It says, You, God, have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And what you get is the first thing is that people's joy increases. They see light and their joy is... It's, and the images given are images of abundance, harvest, and victory, as in these people are dividing up the spoils. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse. It captures it, I think, very well. He writes, you have expanded their joy, festival joy, the joy of great celebration. And that's the first thing that begins to emerge when people see the light 
is they experience joy. The second thing that people experience is the end of violence. And again, the verses that Jillian didn't read, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, be fuel for the fire. And these are evocative images, right? Shattering of a yoke, a warrior's boot, garments rolled in blood, and all of it gets tossed in the fire, gets burned up. And what's being imagined here, this is an echo back to Isaiah's earlier vision in chapter 2, this vision of shalom, of peace, of God, uh, of people beating their swords into plowshares. It's an echo of that. And what's being imagined isn't just war ceasing, which would be great. Okay, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's wars still in places like Afghanistan and Ethiopia and Syria and places that can feel very far away from us. But what's being also imagined here is that violence in our own city ceases. Domestic violence. That kind of violence. That the warrior's boot and the, 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 the instrument of, of hurt and the garments rolled in blood, that'll all come to an end as a result of this light dawning. All right? It's a very, very hopeful Vision, And then when Jillian picks it up, how does this light emerge? Well, remarkably, it all comes about through the birth of a child. Right? The most familiar passage, perhaps, in all of Isaiah. For to us, a child is born. For us, a son is given. And then his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know those it gets sung in Handel's Messiah every year, and many of you listen to that, and, and Keith for years preached on those themes. You're familiar with that text. Now, in the highest use of names, it's not always this way, but in the highest use of names, name reflects character. So what Isaiah is saying in these names isn't just the child will be called counselor and almighty God and everlasting father. The child will be wonderful counselor. Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Remember how God revealed himself to Moses in the desert that he would be compassionate, or God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger? That's what Isaiah is doing here just in, in, in names. A counselor is compassionate, gracious. Almighty God is slow to anger, powerful. A, an Everlasting Father is abounding in love. And faithfulness, and you get the bringer of peace or shalom. This is who the child will be. This is the child's very character. And what the vision then projects into the future, what it imagines is that he will reign. That his kingdom of justice and righteousness will emerge. This is the light that is dawned in the darkness. A child who is born who is God, and who will establish his kingdom. It's a very, very powerful image. You can begin to see as I was listening to um, Simon and Garfunkel's 
uh, well, Paul Simon wrote it, uh, Sound of Silence, as I listen to it, sung by Disturbed, and as I'm sitting with all of that emotion and, and, and living in the same place you live in, and then I read these words, why it might bring me to tears. This is such a hopeful, hopeful vision. Now remember, at the very, very beginning of this series, you may or may not remember this, the year of biblical literacy, we, we kind of framed the Bible in a in a couple different ways. We described what it is. And one of the statements made then is the Bible is, is a God-breathed story that reveals who God is and what God's doing. And so who is God in this vision? What is God doing in this vision? And how might we hear this vision in our time? And I just want to leave you with three things as we wrap this up and as we'll move into our own time of rejoicing. There's three things I want you to notice in this, in this vision that Isaiah gives the initial people and as it echoes out to us. The first of all, first thing is that God works in small, seemingly insignificant ways. Although God will accomplish great things, even hinted at in this, in this vision, it begins with the birth of a child. Now, if I were to quote from, uh, I will quote from a commentary. The commentator writes, In Isaiah's view, God's will for justice, righteousness, and peace is made flesh in the weakest of human creatures, a little baby. We tend to look for the spectacular. And interestingly enough, it was also one of the temptations that Jesus faced in the desert when, when Satan confronted him. Hey, Jesus, stand on the temple, throw yourself down, and you'll get you know, caught up by the angels. Do something spectacular, Jesus. And that temptation dogged Jesus his whole ministry. And for the most part, Jesus didn't do spectacular, at least not the spectacular people were wanting him to do. I mean, he did spectacular things. Don't get me wrong. But we, we sort of were looking for God to do, you know, end world poverty. How about fix this pandemic? Or let's end all war everywhere in the world today. We're looking for the spectacular, for God to do something like amazing on a really big scale. But God tends to work in much smaller ways and what can seem to us like insignificant ways. And here I want to remind you, don't assume that if you see nothing happening, that nothing is happening. Don't assume that. If you see nothing, don't assume nothing's happening. And can you believe instead that God is doing something, even now, and can you believe that your small acts of kindness matter, especially now? Because God works in small, seemingly insignificant ways. And we see that throughout Scripture and in this vision. For unto us a child is born. The second thing I would want to highlight from this text is that God works slowly. 
And this is one of, I think, the unusual features of God's salvation story. So remember the Israelites? We talked about this in the story of Israel. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for a long time. And they cry out. And God hears their cry. And what does God do? Well, he does save them. But before he saves them, he rescues them from slavery, what he did was send a baby. (laughs) They cried out to God, and Moses was born. He sent a baby, which is not exactly a blindingly fast deliverance story, right? That baby needed to grow up 40 years, we're told, in Pharaoh's household. Then, through a series of circumstances, ends up in the desert for another 40 years before being sent back to Egypt to lead the deliverance. And it seems that this is the way of God's salvation. Abraham is promised to be the father of a nation. And that promise is fulfilled some 25 years later at the birth of his son Isaac. But again, the birth of a son, a baby. And then God's long journey with Israel through their history. And ultimately, when the salvation story reaches a climax, what does God do? He sends another baby in the person of Jesus. As in this vision, unto us a child is born, a son is given. God, unlike us who seem to be in a hurry, the God of the universe doesn't seem to be. And are we willing to trust in the slow work of God? So the first question, you know, that God works in small, seemingly insignificant ways. Can we believe that God is doing something even if we can't see it? This time, God works slowly. Can we trust in the slow work of God? This Advent season, this pandemic season, are we willing to wait? The third and last thing I'll draw out of this vision for us to hear, for me to hear, is the appropriate response to all of this seems to be joy. Now, those of you who've had children might recall this. I certainly recall this when my children were born. It's a moment of just joy. Like, it's one of the first sort of unexpected, well, maybe not unexpected, but you're just a little caught off guard. You're like, what just happened? And you're, 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 there's a sense that a miracle has taken place before your eyes. And even the sadness of unwanted children in our society, and sadly there are some of those, or the deep pain of the inability to have children is simply the, the flip side of that coin. It's the lack of joy of, of children that either aren't wanted or aren't able to be conceived. That there is just a natural response of the birth of children, there's a, there's a response to, of joy. It's like, this is what the angels, I think, almost trip over themselves to proclaim at the birth of Jesus. When the angels appear to the shepherd, and you just get the sense that they are just um, exuberant. They just cannot believe what just took place. I bring you, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. Because a Savior has been born, a Son has been given. Now notice the joy isn't my own doing. I don't sort of muster this up on my own. This is a response to what God is doing. 
God has done something. The light has broken into the darkness. This child has been born, and it wells within me joy. We rejoice in the small, slow work of God. So this is where we find ourselves, friends, in this time of darkness, in this land that feels, um, people feel like they're in distress, and when they look out, they see darkness and fearful gloom. And yet God has promised to break in, in small, seemingly insignificant ways. God works slowly. And our response is joy. So I'm going to invite the team back up and we're going to respond with songs of joy. And so come on up already. I'll kind of stay in my little cubicle here. And so as they, they're going to lead us in expressions. This is why we flip the sermon around. We're moving from hello darkness, my old friend, into joy to the world. The Lord has come. And it's the shift that takes place in this prophecy that Isaiah gives. And you may not feel it, and I honor that, but this is the hope you're invited into. This is the story you're invited into. The God is at work. Light is breaking into the darkness. For unto us a son is given. So we're going to sing here this morning together. And I invite you also on Sermons Plus, there's a practice that you can sit with this text texts longer this week and let it sort of begin to sort of permeate into your being and maybe it'll bring you to tears, happy tears, tears of joy. Let me pray and hand off to these guys. God, I thank you that light has broken into the darkness, the darkness in which we live, the gloom in which we find ourselves. That light is breaking in through the birth of a child. That you are doing something. And sometimes I see it, but quite frankly, sometimes I don't. But can I trust you? God, that you are at work. And you still invite me to rejoice. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Amen.